world dominated by fear and mass manipulation of the media. Who can you trust? Just when you think there is no hope alive, you find out that there is an alternative news source to turn to. Revere Radio Network, keeping the dream of sovereignty and freedom alive for all. Revere Radio Network. The views and opinions expressed in the following broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Revere Radio Network, Rob Revere, or any other host on the network. They are the personal thoughts and feelings of the host given the presentation. We support total free speech here at Revere Radio Network, even when it's ugly. Enjoy. Hey, you're listening to Revere Radio Network. Stay tuned. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Revere Radio Network. It is the worldwide home of free speech, and this show is called Nowhere to Run. My name's Chris, and I'm happy to be here with you guys. I'm always happy to be here on Revere Radio. Uh, usually, I start every show with corrections from my previous show, and I haven't had a chance to go through and really pick it apart yet and find out where I am wrong. Usually, what happens is I go through the show, and I get fired up at something that I said stupid or wrong, and then I'll, I'll uh, mark it down and, and correct it here. But I've just, I guess I'm just, just got lazy, basically, and uh, I haven't gone through that. But I will, I will at some point go through that show and, and, and go through the process of getting fired up and have to correct it. So I'll postpone that whole situation. And I didn't receive any emails that were specifically calling me out on anything, so I'm kind of clear on that as far as that goes. So I'm going to postpone that in the interest of my laziness. <clears throat> okay, I have had a pretty interesting week and a half. Um, usually, it's all been revolving pretty much around uh, a letter I wrote or an email I wrote. What happened was I was listening to Dire Wolf's program here on Revere Radio, and I heard uh, him interview. Freeman, from the Freeman perspective, who has a lot of lot of uh, information on Google Video and and other places, it's called the Freeman perspective. He's he's a really cool cat, and he's got a got a lot of stuff figured out. And uh, I heard him on Direwolf's show, and uh, it, it inspired me to write him an email and lay out what I thought about what was going on and how all the dots connected, knowing what. He knows and what 
I know I was I I really wanted to get his opinion on it and it was good for me because it forced me to uh put it on paper to put what I all these what these shows the backbone of these shows this this trying to expose the deception and how it's going to be used specifically uh I'd never wrote it in that format it's always just been me rambling about it and uh and so I put it on paper, uh, or to be more specific, on Microsoft Word, without which I would be a functional illiterate because I can't type fast and I am a terrible speller and it takes me forever and ever and ever to write this out. And it took me, I don't know how long, it took me forever, but it's like seven pages long. It's just a huge manifesto, sort of, of and I referenced everything and, and it, it requires, in order to really process the information, you have to watch, like, seven, eight hours worth of video that is referenced in it. And so it's not something that you can just immediately respond to, or at least if you did immediately respond to, I don't think you would grasp my point. But I was so glad to have this uh, effectively in my hand because it allowed me to sort of throw it around the Internet a little bit and see what kind of reactions I was getting because I really think this is like, you know, a uh, good theory. I don't think people have put together some of this stuff that I have put together here. So, um, so I was looking for opinions. I still, I have put it, I emailed it to everybody I could think of in the conspiracy world, you know, all the heads of, you know, this and that and whatever. I still got a lot to, of people to email it to. And I put it on a lot of the major conspiracy forums and I found some really cool forums in the process and of, you know, like-minded folks and whatnot. But uh, if you want to check it out, you can go to revereradio.net and uh, you'll have to log into the forums there because I think this part of the forum is you have to be logged in to see it. It's under rumors, rants, and debates, and it's under I think like something like what I think about some or what I, th- I what I think's going on or something like that. And uh, of course, my my name on the Revere Radio forum is nowhere to run. So anyway, uh, I encourage you to check it out if you want me to, and it basically lays out what I've been saying here, my theory about the deception and how it's all going to be used here in the future, and uh, and I think it's extremely important, and I need people to, especially somebody that is extremely interested in this kind of stuff, to give me their input to see where I may be wrong on it, because I want to expand on the theory, I want to, but I, I sent it to all these people hope, to hopefully, you know, get their input on it but i have had very few people you know really give me a lot of uh information about it but if you could go to revereradio.net and check it out on the forums or you can email me and i'll send you a copy of it in microsoft word or something or just you know uh email it to you and my email is chris at conspiracyclothes.com that is chris at conspiracyclothes.com and i'll be happy to get it out there so that, yeah, that's take, taken up uh, a good part of my week, and I'm really glad that I quantified this theory and put it on paper because it it's a lot more it, it has a lot more travel because I can't you know if I'm trying to contact somebody and say hey this is what I think is going on and I reference them to the show then it's just me like rambling about this and that you know I I, ne- I rarely like it, it would be impossible for me to lay it all out every show you know it it would take at least an hour of me talking fast every show to do that. So I'm glad I have that. And I actually posted it on my nowheretorun.podomatic.com website, although it's really hard to read there and whatever. Okay, and by the way, I'm trying to get the nowheretorun.info site working. Uh, yeah, I'm having some troubles with the FTP thing. And it's 
I I don't want to go into it right now. I'm confused by it, and it and it makes me sad. But anyway, let's get into some really interesting stuff here. Something that I just found out this week, and I've just been thinking, wow, I cannot believe I missed this. Um, everybody knows about 1984 and uh, A Brave New World by Huxley and, and Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. And I'm sure you can name some more. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that they deserve to be on that list, too. But those are the big three, in my opinion. But I think that there is a fourth book that gets overlooked and should definitely be on that list because it, it nearly beats all the rest of those out, at least on a particular aspect, that I didn't know that it was there, even though I had read it before. But it was so well hidden, uh, and that is a C.S. Lewis book. It's called That Hideous Strength, and it is by C.S. Lewis, the celebrated Christian author, uh, the author of Mere Christianity, one of the most intelligent books of contemporary times, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, the, the children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia, and so many nonfiction books that really will just expand your brain. I think if you have never read any C.S. Lewis nonfiction, it takes all of my brain power to soak it in, uh, to, to stay with him, because he's such a genius, and I, I, have, I have so much respect for him as an author. And so... I was sitting there thinking about it. And I was thinking there is no way that C.S. Lewis didn't know about this because a little backstory on Lewis. He was a Oxford Don and a Cambridge Don at the same time. He held dual Donship at, at both Oxford and Cambridge, two very Illuminati uh, recruiting schools. You know, that's where they ship people when they go to the Rhodes Scholarship. And he actually, this book actually talks about, you know, it's kind of a, a slam on Cecil Rhodes a little bit. He was even a professor of philosophy while he was an atheist and a genius atheist, you know? I mean, he was a very... The thing is, is that I was thinking there's no way that he didn't get at some point involved in this plan because the plan was very alive back then during World War II and whatever. I mean, it was very clear and somebody at the top levels of those schools had to try to either recruit him or he must have heard. Because keep in mind, he was an atheist, too, and a professor of philosophy, and, and uh, he had to have known. And he obviously became extremely famous and a celebrated Christian author, and I think that, that there were probably some problems with him coming out and saying what he knew. I think that he felt an obligation to it. And that is what I feel has happened with that hideous strength. And it appears that he knew more about it than Orwell did, or Bradbury, or Huxley. Interestingly enough, C.S. Lewis died the same day that Algis Huxley did, and the same day that uh, JFK was shot. So, you know, that's the that that's pretty amazing. JFK, Algis Huxley, and C.S. Lewis all died in the same day. Pretty amazing. But I guess, you know, it doesn't have to be a conspiracy or a coincidence, just just the facts. Now, here is an interesting fact about this book, That Hideous Strength. Orwell himself uh, wrote, wrote a review on the book two years before Orwell wrote 1984. This is what uh, Orwell wrote about That Hideous Strength for the Manchester Evening News. He said, Plenty of people in our age do entertain the monstrous dreams of power that Mr. Lewis attributes to his characters. And we are within sight of the time when such dreams will be realizable. And here I'm going to add that, that Orwell was an atheist, and this is what his critique of the book was. He said, Lewis's book would have been, a, would have been stronger without the supernatural elements. 
Particularly, Orwell objected to the ending in which the uh, nice, the evil scientist here, are overthrown by divine intervention. Lewis is entitled to his beliefs, but they weaken his story, not only because they offend the average reader's sense of probability, but because, in effect, they decide the issue in advance. When one is told that God and the devil are in conflict, one always knows which side is going to win. The whole drama of the struggle against evil lies in the fact that one does not have supernatural aid. Okay, this is coming from Orwell. And it is uh, it is a testament that or- two years later, when Orwell wrote 1984, if anybody's read the book, they know how he ended his book, and that was very dismal. In fact, it was the whole theme of the book that was that Big Brother cannot be beat. The boot in your face will always be in your face, and that no man can conquer physical pain, because under physical pain there are no heroes. And I sold you, and you sold me under the chestnut tree. And, you know, it was pretty a dismal outlook of the future, as far as Orwell was concerned. But interestingly, Lewis's book, in my opinion... It appears that Lewis knew really well what was going on. Like, Lewis knew some David Icke kind of stuff here, in my opinion. You have to read the book for me. I don't think I'm going to be that good at at um, explaining what the book is about, because it's a trilogy. It comes. It's the third book in a trilogy uh, of what's known as the Space Trilogy sometimes, and... Uh, in the, that hideous strength is the last book in that trilogy, and so there's a lot of backstory, and it's a science fiction no- novel, and it was so cleverly hidden. But what's interesting to know, and I guess what I'll try to explain, is that in effect, Lewis was describing how they were controlling academia and how they were controlling corporate America and the people and and the pyramid structure of power, and how the people, you know, were controlled by pride and the the desire to be part of the inner circle and controlled by money and pride up to a certain level, and then a level before that actually knew a good deal more of who was really pulling the strings. And really, there were only one or two people at the top that actually knew that the person pulling the string strings was actually a evil spiritual entity that was embodying a disembodied head that was hooked up to all this machinery and so on. And uh, so the guy who created this machine thought that he had kept this head alive. When actually, only the only two people, the director of this uh, this agency and his direct uh, person below him, knew what this was. And they were performing rituals and whatnot to the spiritual entity that was telling them the plan, basically. It's just amazing to me. Yeah, I really recommend that book, the, that hideous strength for anybody that that knows what I'm talking about here and knows how uh, these rituals play into uh, the world elite and the current state of world affairs. It's the most overlooked uh, expose that... Anyway, so that is something I really wanted to get off my chest there, and I'm glad I did. And so I think I'm going to take a quick break here, and I'll be back right after this with uh, some more interesting tidbits and, and the like. The following is music from the Chicago Afrobeat Project. It's about four and a half minutes long, something like that. Enjoy.
free speech, even when it's ugly. Revere Radio Network, Tampa. If you don't like your job, you don't strike. You just go in every day and do it really half-assed. That's the American way. Government, do take a bite, don't you? Did I hear a briefcase opening? My father's no different than any other powerful man. Any man who's responsible for other people. Like a senator or a president. You know how naive you sound. Why? Senators and presidents don't have men killed. Oh. Who's being naive, Kay? All right, welcome back. Let's just jump right back into some weird stuff here. I've got something that has uh, really intrigued me. Something that I've always thought about ancient history was that it appeared that all throughout the entire world, uh, every ancient civilization seemed to be have its own set of have its own godmen hybrid type that they all talk about. You know, every ancient civilization talks of these gods that they have to make sacrifices to. That in one way or another, these gods are giving them information and knowledge about the cosmos and knowledge about you know, building and astronomy and all these different things. It's almost in exchange for the knowledge. And it, it seems really clear when looking at different civilizations, the Mayan, and, and the difference between the Mayans and, say, the uh, Far East. You know, they definitely had a whole other architecture and a whole other type of ancient knowledge that they were using, you know, and astronomy and building and all this other stuff. But strikingly similar, too. It was almost like it was a different brother of the same family you know it was like the different like when you hear about the ancient gods like one one god taught them you know how to wear taught the egyptian women to wear makeup and taught them all this different stuff about sexual positions and whatnot while another god would teach building and astronomy you know they were they were had their own personalities and their own aesthetics i'd always had the feeling that there were some that they were different Nephilim, sort of, you know, that, that each geographical part in the world had, was being ruled by its own son, its own Nephilim, or Nephilim, or, or whatever you want to call and they were giving them knowledge in exchange for, uh, for, you know, sacrifices and so on, and I guess I, I don't know if it was just a hunch or whatever, but but now, finding this, uh, I want to play a clip from you that basically says exactly this and, and relates it back very specifically to uh, the biblical text and ancient Jewish text and, and so on, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, this clip I'm going to play is from Dr. Michael Heiser. He is um, the guy I've referenced a number of times, the, uh, the guy from SitchinIsWrong.com. But he is what Sitchin claims to be, he, which is a uh, biblical scholar and a scholar of ancient Hebrew, uh, and in fact a scholar of many Near East languages and texts and so on. He's a genius too. He's just a a, a really, really, really uh, smart guy. But anyway, let me play this clip because it explains something that that makes perfect sense and explains much of the anomalies of ancient history and and why that is. Here, let me let me start it up. And the Israelite uh, equivalent of all those things. Uh, with that as a backdrop, look at what some of the thing, some of the things the Old Testament actually says in relation to this issue. Deuteronomy 32 is a really interesting verse. 
when the Most High, God of Israel, gave the nations their inheritance, their nakal, when he divided up all of mankind, when did that happen? Tower of Babel. Okay. When he divided up all of mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Now, if you look this up in almost any English Bible ever printed, this phrase will not be there. It will say according to the number of the sons of Israel. But the Septuagint and the Dead Sea Scrolls read the sons of God. What this means is that when God decides, okay, this is after the flood, you know, when thought the flood took care of the problem, after the flood, God commanded, given the same command that was pre-flood, said, you know, go out, be fruitful and multiply, have a wonderful time, be my representatives, fill the earth, and what do they do? They turn around and we say, well, we have a better idea. We're going to build a tower here. We're going to build a city and a tower. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to make ourselves world-renowned. We're going to stay right here and accomplish that end. In fact, we're going to use the high technology that has been at our disposal. And where do we get that? Enoch tells us the sons of God, the watchers. We think this is really cool. If someone came up to you, essentially a watcher, and said, hey, you want to know what makes the universe tick? You want to know how to use the material world build things and learn things we know that we can tell you and it's only coming at a small price <laughs> the small price being what Enoch says they did second generation watchers did they forced the people to sacrifice to them as gods worship us and we will lay the universe at your feet because then you can be like us You'll know what we know. Gnosis. Knowledge. Gnosticism is nothing more than watcher theology. Beware of it. But God decides, okay, you want to do that? Fine. You want to worship these flunkies? You want to worship these divine underlings? Go ahead. In fact, I'm going to divide up the earth according to the number of the sons of God and that means that each geographical region gets to be ruled by them, by one of them or several of them, however it works out numerically. David probably know he probably have some equation for it. <laughs> however that works out, every place on the earth, you don't want to follow me, you're going to serve them. I'm going to give you what you want, and I'm going to start over for the Lord's portion, Kalak. It's a noun related to Nakal, is his people. Jacob is his allotted inheritance, his Nakhalat. Nakal, Nakhalat, it's their word plays here. God says, I'm going to start over. And what does he do in the very next chapter after the, the Tower of Babel episode, Genesis 12? He calls Abraham and says, come here, Abraham. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to start over. And the whole rest of the Old Testament or the, is the story is the descendants of Abraham against all the other peoples. Israel versus the nation. Yahweh versus the gods. That's the Old Testament. And if you miss that, you understand a truckload of what's going on in the Old Testament. Okay, that's pretty interesting stuff right there. I'd like to tie that in with another clip from Chuck Missler on his uh, talk of about 
what's what's called the Kings of the East, which is amazing. It's like two hours of uh, of what's going on with China and the history of China. It's it's <laughs> that's a whole other show right there. But I want to show this because it explains a lot of the ideas. It, it's easy to see how the different Nephilim or sons of God are affecting you know uh, other areas. But the, but the Far East is one that that people tend to think was all always you know, Taoism and, and and Buddhism and everything. But it's quite untrue. In fact, uh, listen to Chuck Missler on this. It really it really brings a lot of this to the to the surface here. Now, strangely enough, these were not the original religions of China. The traditional religious mixtures of ancestral worship, Taoism, Buddhism, and Confucianism were all preceded, believe it or not, we now know by biblical monotheism. This comes as a shock to many. Shang-Ti, if you take the symbol for above or heavenly and the symbol for the emperor and you put them together, you have the, the, the ideogram of Shang-Ti, the one God. And uh, we have to go back in time now, long before the first century B.C. Uh, when uh, Buddhism was introduced, long before the fifth century B.C. when Taoism and Confucianism made their appearance, we go back an additional 2,000 years, back to the Tower of Babel, where the nations were dispersed. The Sinites, after that dispersion, were the ones that went east, to the far east. And so they became very geographically isolated by the mountain ranges and vast deserts. And yet they seem to have retained a knowledge, an accurate knowledge, of historical events from the beginning of time. And uh, that, even though that uh, time was spanned by only three lifetimes Adam to Methuselah to Shem so sealed off they developed their own characteristic culture which was undisturbed for 2,000 years and they did apparently retain some of the original influences from the former homeland region of ancient Babel including a number of things one of which is their seven day week they've had it from the beginning which itself is provocative the origin of their language, their pictographic and ideographic language system, these, these characteristic symbols that we've seen around, seem to have been initiated about 2500 B.C. And uh, they kept a record of reigning emperors from the Hasea dynasty at 2205 B.C. And during the first three dynasties, um, the supreme ruler was Shang-Ti. He's a monotheistic form of worship here. He's designated by a few other things, but it's, it's basically the same belief. One of the most venerated manuscripts of ancient China is the Shu King, the uh, Book of History. Its contents go back about the time of Noah and consist of a number of records of these first three dynasties. They based the period from the middle of the 24th century B.C. through about the 7th century B.C. How do we know this? Because... The, this, these documents were found hidden in a wall of Confucius's house that was torn down about 140 BC. That's when they found this highly venerated, uh, now highly venerated documents. He apparently was Confucius was a was a collector of uh, this kind of thing, and he selected those things which he considered the most valuable and compiled what they call the Book of History. And it can, it's the whole foundation of their system, their religious rites, their tactics, their music, their astronomy, and so forth. And it records Emperor Shun in 2230 B.C. sacrificing to Shang-Ti, who has been identified as the supreme being of the Genesis record. That's their name for it. 
the languages, and we'll get into all the technicalities, but it's clear when you start looking at the details of their language uh, that the, uh, the, uh, it's clear that the, all these languages there come from the same source. The phonological correspondences and shared vocabulary uh, consider very, very heavy evidence among those that, uh, that all the Sino-Tibetan languages derive from a common source, interestingly enough. And he goes on to talk about how some of the characters only make sense if if you if they knew Genesis three and all this other stuff. So, it, and that's uh, Chuck Missler from his uh, his talk, "The Kings of the East." But that's uh, some good background if you're if you're trying to plug in some of the anomalies of ancient history and and when the ancient texts don't make sense if you plug in this idea, they tend to make sense. I just showed the Near East example, but you can do that all over you can do that all over the world it's all the same thing it's these these watchers giving ancient knowledge to us in exchange for sacrificing and worshiping i mean it was as uh mike kaiser said you know i mean that was that was kind of their punishment in a sense was to be uh, under the rule of these these gods the god god men the hybrids and that the civilizations can be traced back to the Tower of Babel or Babel or whatever. Okay, uh, I just wanted to get that out there. I think that that will make a lot of difference if somebody's interested in searching around about this kind of thing. That general idea is uh, is a necessary tool, I think, to understanding a lot of ancient history. And it really helps understand a lot of the Old Testament. Like, I think it was Joshua that was told to go with these armies and go in and kill these tribes of the Rephaim, you know, to leave no one alive, no man, woman, or child. You know, reading the Old Testament in that light, you're like, damn, you know, God was, was uh, you know, pretty harsh. But when you look at it like they were carrying, you know, this giant bloodline that, that you know, that, that makes a little more sense. So it, it really does help history to be understood more. And again, those two guys are super, super geniuses. Chuck Missler, Chuck Missler is a super genius. He has on his website, khouse.org, uh, there is something called the 6640 um, radio program. It, it's all, he's got a lot of archived uh, information about this kind of thing and all kinds of, you know, just piles and piles of free audio through the 6640 broadcast, and that's at khouse.org. You can learn a lot from that site, let me tell you. Also, Mike Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser was the first guy, uh, also super genius. And really, those two guys are leading the academic charge, you know, uh, uh, on, on both of these issues, on all this issue, this whole issue, in my opinion. I think those guys are, are really on the front lines doing a lot of the, the good work that needs to be done to lay the foundations to make sure we all don't get straight up deceived here in a little bit because if we don't understand this stuff we're going to be so deceived when the when what happens in the future happens and I'm not claiming to know exactly what it's going to be but you can have a pretty good idea when you continue to reverse engineer the disinformation and you start it's really important to to not to not read stuff that you know is disinformation, but to read it and to understand it thoroughly because it helps you to understand what they are trying to lead you away from. And I think, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis, going back to it, said something about uh, when he was an atheist. He said, a, a, a good, well-intentioned atheist can never be too careful in his reading. 
Meaning that, you know, you couldn't read too many books if you're an atheist. You, you gotta pretty much stick to your Nietzsche's and, and your Aristotle's and your, uh, Freud's and, and Machiavelli and these type of things. Because you just can't read too much stuff and, and, and expect to remain a diligent, uh, well, uh, thinking atheist. But I think as a Christian, I like to read that stuff. I like to read. I don't, I, I am very confident in that, you know, and I'm, I'm open to having something to destroy my faith, you know. If it's, if I read something that, that is, deserves to be looked at, well, then we need to look at it. And I, and that's the process that I went through in my conspiracy life. I did do that. When I first read, uh, David Icke and Zachariah Sitchin, I had to, uh, make a decision to study really hard because I I couldn't put my finger on it but I knew that my faith had been virtually destroyed but I knew that there had there had to be some some answers here even if even if they were right there had to be more information and I think that it was uh my faith came back stronger than it ever was if I had not have lost it in the first place. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that have gone through that same thing, have read their Sitchin and Ikes and been like, oh, damn, you know? Everything I've been taught is wrong and this is right, and except they don't really... But but they don't really give you any answers either, you know? They just throw on a, a silly old Luciferian dogma on top of the information, just like any good cult will do. But I don't... You know, I'm not claiming they're cults, but, you know, that that's the philosophy that cults use giving you massive amounts of truth and then giving you massive amounts of BS right on top of it. Um, but I'm here to tell you that the truth is out there. You know, they, there is uh, a light at the end of this tunnel, and you, it's necessary to know every single word that they say because um, I'm, I'm telling you, it all, it all makes sense once you see where they're going with it. And you see them being wrong. I mean, you can't go to sitchiniswrong.com and be like, oh, Okay, I mean that. Th I wish I knew SitchinIsWrong.com was out there back the you know when I was reading Sitchin because that would have just ended it right there. It's like, oh, he's a complete fraud. I didn't know. And in fact, I didn't know most of this stuff that I'm getting into right now until very recently. It's only been, in my opinion, because I've been doing the show and that I've been shown some simple truths. I think you know when you do something like this, if you have a blog or you have a, a, a something where pu the public is consuming what you're producing intellectually, then you have sort of a a added incentive to get things right, sort of. And especially in the kind of subject matter that I'm talking about, that's why it's so important for uh, you guys to pray for me, to not give out any disinformation, and to keep my tongue from doing any damage. And that's why I pray for the same thing, and to, for knowledge and understanding and 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 humility in equal proportions because it's so important and you can see i think that god's letting me in on some stuff not because i'm special or i'm smart or anything but because of the very reason that i'm talking about it and people are hearing it and he's using it for somebody you know he guided somebody out there to this so that they could hear this stuff and i'm just being used as a conduit sorta and I totally am 100% cool with that. And that's how you support this show, by the way, is by praying for me. I could really use it, anything you think I might need, but certainly not to uh, to give out any disinformation and all this stuff because it's very volatile sub subject matter and it has the ability to to um, to hurt if not if not uh, looked at properly. 
and I'm still in the gathering processes with all this information, so I have you know the potential to be deceived and led on the wrong track really easily. So anyway, um, yeah. And also, you can email me your complaints and your hate mail or otherwise mail at chris at conspiracyclothes.com. That is chris at conspiracyclothes.com. And uh, I actually got a really cool, supportive email last week, and I'd like to thank the guy who sent it. It was uh, pretty cool, and it really did help me out, and I'd like to thank you for that. Okay, I'm going to take another break real quick, and I will be right back on the other side. i got some good stuff to get into, so stick around. Are you sick of being fed lie after lie by the mainstream media each day? Don't you feel it's time to stand up and be heard? Are you ready for the alternative media revolution? Ready or not, here we are. Revere Radio Network, bringing you the best in alternative news and commentary. One loud. Why don't you just make ten louder and make ten be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are 11. Are you the police? No, ma'am. We're musicians. I have an excellent idea. Let's change the subject. All right, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White. Uh, okay, I want to get into something here I've kind of avoided for a while, but <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll talk about it because I heard Alex Jones actually mention last week that he had quit smoking and drinking, which I know has got to be hard, and uh, so I thought that was that was pretty cool, and uh, it just made me think about something because I, I mean, for those of you who listen to the show, you might have gathered that I'm in a rock band and you know we tour constantly and so we're always on the road and in bars every night and constantly free beer and all that stuff and uh you know i'm 27 about to be 28 and i'm a, you know i i i'd say for i quit drinking and smoking the same day about a year and four months ago i don't even know a year and something like that ago and before that i drank every day for you know, seven years, something like that. I smoked two packs of cigarettes every day for uh, ten years. I don't know, something like that. So, and I was drunk, man. I mean, I I, uh, I drank more than anybody I knew I dr- of any age, you know, except for one of my friends who I think was right there with me. We kind of uh, uh, tried to outdo each other, sort of. But I, I don't, uh, I didn't know anybody that drank more than I did or, or smoked more than I did. And, uh, you know, I, I quit them both at the same day, on the same day, because it, it, it's not that I had an epiphany. I know everybody knows that I was, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I was a Christian all during that time, too. I, it, it's nothing changed spiritually. In fact, for years and years and years, I knew I needed to quit, and I would pray about it, you know, that I would be able to quit and, and everything. And uh, so it wasn't that I had a, an epiphany, because I'd had the epiphany a lot, but it it did come to a point where, you know, I started writing down, you know, these things that were, you know, all these problems that would go away if I would stop drinking. You know, I had just this huge list of, of things that, that, that were, that alcohol eventually does, which it, it eventually ruins your life. Now, one of my biggest problems with alcohol is that I didn't have, uh, I wasn't like a mean drunk or a blackout drunk or anything. You know, you could barely tell that I was drunk, and and that was in a in effect a, a big problem because, you know, if you're one of those drinkers who, uh, 
you know, does something ridiculously stupid every time he gets drunk, then you have to apologize to everybody the next morning. It it's it's a it ends quicker for you because you know that you literally can't do that. You know, you have to make that decision that well, I can't do that because I black out next stupid and don't remember anything and and whatever. But in my case, I didn't do any of that stuff. I was just regular old drunk, you know, and no no serious side effects. Uh, I could hold my liquor, as they say, but that was a bad thing, in a sense. But my main fear with quitting drinking, and this will ring true with anybody that's in the same position, is that I was completely convinced that by quitting drinking, I I was going to give up having any kind of fun. Because all my fun was wrapped up in drinking, you know. I mean, if I was going to go on a boat, I was going to go on a boat with beer, you know. We're going to, I mean, fishing. Well, what the hell is the purpose of fishing without any beer, you know? I mean, there was everything that I did for fun. Uh, I had to drink with. I mean, there wasn't any fun that wasn't associated with beer. So in my head, I was going to quit having fun, and that was actually a decision that I made when I did finally quit drinking. Uh, was to that okay? That's it, and then I, I'm not going to have any fun anymore. That's just that's just great. But I was telling myself, well, that's that's the hole I dug for myself. You know, I went and drank too much, and I got addicted to it, and now I can't do it. I mean, I messed myself over, so that's the life I'm going to have to live. And it was like three three entire maybe four months down the road before it just hit me that that was a lie, you know, I mean, I was, I was, for that four months, I mean, and keep in mind, I'm in a, a bar every night, you know, with a band, so it wasn't exactly the easiest thing in the world, and, and no, I didn't get any help from any friends or companions, you know, they were, they really, you know, it was like the devil working through my friends, you know, I had shot glasses held up to my face and cigarettes all, you know, be- people begging me to, to drink and smoke and whatnot, and so, it was about four months into it, then it just hit me, and it was like a light bulb went off, and it was like, you know, that was a lie, that was a lie that I was telling myself, and it wasn't any different, and uh, and the actual the actual desire to drink, and I wasn't, about, about that mark, about four months down the road, I stopped looking at the drinks in everybody's hand, and being like, I wish I could drink, you know, and stop, all of a sudden it just completely vanished, I didn't have that desire at all anymore it wasn't a part of anything it was just gone however i will say that cigarettes stuck around with me i don't know i was hyper addicted to cigarettes and that still has just now a year and some odd three four months down the road has finally gone away and it and it i pretty much had the same general desire for a cigarette for a year and some odd months and it wasn't until very recently that i was able to not think about that in the same way that the alcohol alcohol was actually pretty quick you know in, in retrospect about four months down the road and all of a sudden it just just gone i mean it was amazing to me and the secret or at least my secret to to being successful at it is a very simple and very important to understand point about human psychology i think it you when you quit you have to be sure you have to know that you're never going to take another drink you have to be at peace with never having another drink and for the rest of your life. The reason that's important is because if you quit with the assumption that there at some point in the future will be a drink that you can have because of some special occasion, so at some distant point in the future, if you have mentally allowed 
yourself that one drink when the occasion is special enough, then you can't quit. And the exact same thing goes with cigarettes. You have to quit with a pack of cigarettes in your pocket, and or be able to at least. And and you have to understand that you have to be at peace with never ever smoking another cigarette again. Because if you have in your head the idea that there is a cigarette someday, if the occasion gets special enough, then you will be then you will uh, you will smoke it. And right when I said I had made that list of all the stuff that uh, you know that I had uh, the reasons I needed to quit and everything, I actually tried to quit, uh, and then I quit for like you know two weeks or three weeks or something before I actually quit the final time. But the reason I was unsuccessful that first time was because I did have in my head that. You know, I once I get over this, I'm going to be able to drink casually because that's what the main thing that every alcoholic tells himself. They're like, you know, if I could just drink casually, you know, that's what I want. That's the goal. That's the ultimate goal of every drunk is to be able to just drink socially. Well, what happens is that you eventually the occasion you did make it you made it a month you know and then an occasion a big special occasion happens and you drink there and you do a good job you don't actually drink for another week and then or a week and a half and then uh you know the occasions another special occasion and then the occasions become less special and less special and less special and when i finally you know came back full force you know even more than i did before i quit the same thing with cigarettes although that time i didn't try to quit smoking cigarettes i just tried to quit drinking and uh, also a hard thing to do is to quit smoking uh, if you haven't quit drinking because uh, if it, it doesn't work because eventually you will get drunk enough to smoke a cigarette. You know, no matter how strong-willed you are, eventually you will get drunk enough and you will smoke a cigarette. So it was actually a beneficial thing for me to quit them both at the same time. And I'll tell you something. Uh, that is the time when I when I quit and started, uh, you know, right after that is when I started ConspiracyClothes.com, and uh, that's, and I would totally, I sold uh, the stock that I had, and I, I started up Conspiracy Clothes, and I only had like $500 to start it up, and, uh, and uh, you know, and it, I wouldn't have been able to do any of that if I had um, needed the money that it takes to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day and drink at least, you know, nearly a 12-pack of beer a day was you know, more money than I had to spend. So I was living basically on the food that I needed after that, and I was able to start Conspiracy Clothes. My life got so much better in every aspect after that. I mean, that everything, and especially spiritually, you know, as I said, I was a Christian and everything, but it, it, it was simply that I don't think that, you know, you are almost entrusted with the keys of the information and the and the stuff until you get that stuff out of the way because there's just it's a physical blockade spiritually to move to a next level it's not that you can't be a christian and you can't go to heaven and still be a drunk and and whatever because i mean i was as as much of a believer as i was beforehand but i just wasn't being trusted with the keys so to speak i don't think and i still that alludes to like now that i have the keys or whatever i don't i mean it's just that uh i now have spiritual power that I think is directly related to the physical. And that's why the devil wanted to hold you down with the chemicals and so on that are with cigarettes and alcohol because it prevents you from being the 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 being able to connect to the creator and have this power that individuals have. You know, most of what's going on today is the devil trying to 
convince us all into believing that they don't have power over him. And we do. We have total authority over him. And we have extreme amounts of power via our connection to Jesus, through whom we have a connection to the creator of the universe. I mean, we have the authority to boss the devil around. And he doesn't like it. He doesn't like, the devil does not like it one bit. So anyway, that's kind of my, uh, my story with all that. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you that nowadays I don't think of that at all. I mean, I, I am so far from thinking, I mean, I still am at bars every night and I still have all the things. I will tell you this, though, uh, for anybody that actually does think that they're going to quit. I, I needed the very first little bit there. I drank a lot of non-alcoholic beer for the first uh, few months. And I, and, uh, I drank non-alcoholic beer. And Odul's, by the way, gives you wicked headaches. And there's a Bush N.A. that's actually pretty good. They make a lot of specialty ones. But I needed a lot of it because I had to basically wean myself off of it. Cause I, and I still to this day have a uh, a reflex. I don't know what you'd call it. There's a word for it where I need to drink something all the time you know not really all the time i've gotten better at it but it did take me i went through i'd never drank coffee before and i got real into coffee it went from like non-alcoholic beer to coffee to now i drink perrier because you know it bites like beer but now it's kind of gone down to nothing and i will say that that cigarettes and and drinking the the chemicals are just so powerful that it like scars your brain i mean i'm under the impression that i may have permanent brain damage you know that i may have these oral reflexes to you know for the rest of my life uh not really with smoking but i remember seeing this documentary about these chimpanzees that were like at the circus and they had uh you know and they taught them to smoke or, or whatever so they were addicted to cigarettes and this was on the discovery channel or something and they were like had it was like a safe house for these monkeys or whatever and it showed them you know, they would pick up sticks and make sticks about the size of cigarettes, and they would smoke them all day. It would light them up, and, you know, with their their lighter-looking stick and light up the the other stick and just sit there and puff on a stick. I mean, it was like a fixation that that stays with you. And I, I, I am getting better at, at all that and stuff, but but it, the cigarette, I don't even know that. I think the chemicals in cigarettes are, are really what's as addictive as, as the tobacco, but, you know, I don't know what they're putting in that stuff nowadays, and... All right, guys, I got a few more minutes here left. So, um, you know, what? something I wanted to do, I think would be a good idea, is uh, I, I've been listening to, what do they call it now, Mark Dice and the Resistance Radio or ResistanceManifesto.com or whatever they're calling it, formerly John Connor, on the GCN Radio Network. And uh, he has people call in to different talking head radio stations like, uh, you know, Sean Hannity and Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh and tries to kind of sneak in there and be a caller and then ask him about something about, you know, 9-11 or, or the Bill of Rights or the unconstitutionality of the situations at hand or the Federal Reserve or Bohemian Grove or vaccines or fluoride in the water, you know, whatever it is. I mean, there's plenty of stuff to, to burn on these people about. And uh, I, I was wanting to encourage that in some way because I just think it's so cool. Uh, I, had a, I, I heard, you know, these local idiot talking heads here I, I just heard him you know spitting the party line just like a good little talking head and somebody you know and they're so intelligent that call in and just burn them you know on just the facts because they can't fight the facts and it's making everybody turn away from talk radio because it's so obvious that they're controlled 
you know, because they can't say anything except for what they're supposed to say, so they can't answer uh, intellectually. But I want to encourage people to do that. If you can do that uh, and you can record it, I will give you a Conspiracy Clothes shirt at conspiracyclothes.com. Any shirt, any size, whatever. Just go to conspiracyclothes.com. Check out our shirts, which one you want. I mean, if it doesn't matter if it's like, oh, it doesn't have to win any competition or whatever. whatever. Just It has to be you, and it has to be you, um, you, you calling in. I don't know the best way to record it. Uh, for I mean, if you're a host on the network, you can get something like the Total Recorder or Skype or whatever. I'm sure that you can get creative in different ways to record it. But if you can do that and get me the audio of that call, uh, that yeah, man, I will I will ship a shirt out to you, just totally free. I, I really think that that is the coolest thing in the world because we absolutely need people, and, and that's just such a good way. I mean, I don't know how you're going to get through uh, the the call screeners and stuff, but there's just so much to, to talk about. So call in, burn somebody on that, and I'll, I will gladly uh, send you out some free shirts. And so, again, my, my email is chris at conspiracyclothes.com, and I think I'm, a, I'm running out of time here, so I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for letting me rant about this and that and, uh, and uh, try to get better uh, next show. So I'll see you, see you around. Bye.